please stand for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. This is the reading of this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Thank you for being here in person, those of you joining us online, and thank you to Cami and Jason and our worship team. Will you thank them? Well, I can stand here and in good conscience tell you I did not touch an Oreo because if I had, it would just be drivel coming out of my mouth for the next 30 minutes, but uh, truly, uh, thank you. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not um, point uh, to somebody who's been very much pastor to me and somebody that God has used to form me. And that's also, uh, that's our pastor emeritus, Dave Beatty. And so uh, please hug him. He loves hugs. He loves bear hugs. So, <laughs> and Dave, I can't see where you're at. I think I see you. Um, all, those, all those Oreos except the double stuff are yours. So, um, Anyhow, and obviously our, uh, our elders here as well um, have been a huge, huge part of my own journey as well as I know many in here. And then uh, I just get to serve next to and walk next to the most incredible staff. They're so incredible. I had no idea this was happening this morning. So that makes me feel good as a boss. Like, wow, they got, it. They got that right underneath my nose without me knowing. And so anyhow... Well, if you are just joining us for the first time, like I said, in person or online, we are going through the book of Mark. And we've been going through the book of Mark with some breaks along the way. And uh, this last week, we were actually in the passage right before the one Cammie just read. And uh, some, of, some of these weeks, we're going through it uh, via email. And so if you'd like to be on that list, there's like a I say midweek, but it's probably more later week devotional. Um, you can just text the word email to our church phone number. It's up here on the, on the screen, and uh, you'll be on that list. So with that said, there are some sayings that we've all had to have repeated to us throughout life, right? I mean, some of those are probably coming to mind. W- one that recently came to mind was my mom when I was younger. If, Nathan, if you continue to make that face over and over— what do we know? Yeah, it'll stay that way. So a couple weeks ago, I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I went, oh my goodness, it happened. It happened. Yep, this is the face I used to make as a kid and now we're stuck, okay? So there's that. 
there, there are phrases like, um, and it, it's still ongoing, and actually it was like a baton handed from my parents to my wife now. Nathan, how many times do I have to tell you not to take your shoes off and leave them right in front of the door? And the answer is millions. This will never stop, right? It's just, it's what happens now. And then there are phrases that in, in sayings that work their way in. And they begin to work their way in in a way that you never expect. One of those growing up was uh, do the dishes. Just simply do the dishes. And, of course, you can imagine as a kid, um, I just was blind to the dishes. I just didn't see them at all. And this last week, I had another moment. I'm standing there at the sink, and I went, oh, my goodness, it happened. Like, like something happened with this thing that as a kid I didn't enjoy, and yet now there's like a, it's kind of like mowing the lawn changes. At least for some, for some of us in here, you've talked about this. It almost becomes like therapeutic, right? And I had this moment doing the dishes, and I'm not bragging right now because, like I said, there's the shoes thing. But uh, I, I remember going, oh, my goodness, it happened. This was kind of like when I realized it wasn't fun to stay up past midnight anymore. And I don't know when that happened, but like somewhere early to mid-20s, I went, That's, it's just not fun anymore. And so I went, the dishes, it happened. It was like this thing that has been said and said and said, and it had to be repeated and repeated and repeated. And now suddenly it's like there's, there's something in it that, dare I say, is a little bit enjoyable. Well, I tell you that, and I bring all that up, because we encounter a statement from Jesus at this point in Mark's gospel that is, is repeated. In fact, that's where we're going to start this morning. He repeats this phrase that I believe is one of those things that Christians specifically, we've got to figure out how that moves, or we've got to let it move from something we hear to something that gets into our minds and then it sinks into our hearts. And then it becomes part of what we do and how we operate. Here's the phrase. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 30. <clears throat> they left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, and here's the statement. This is now the second time he has said this statement to his disciples. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Now, this would have been familiar, but he added a little bit more detail here. And some of them sitting there, they probably, they probably would have maybe gone, well, yeah, you've, you've said this before, and we've heard this, but they hadn't heard it. They hadn't actually heard it. When, when you see what happens next, you understand that. Verse 32, but they did not, and I want you to, if you have a pen or if you've got your phone and you can put a note on this or if you, if you grab sermon notes, circle this word. They did not understand. They did not understand what he meant. And, were, and I want you to circle this next word too, afraid, to ask him about it. They did not understand and they were afraid. Now, you look at them and you think, well, yeah, they had an excuse not to understand. I mean, the cross hadn't happened yet. The resurrection hadn't happened yet. And yet when you look at us, we, we knew all that happened, right? We know that all that took place. And I, what I'm getting at here is that here you've got these disciples that are in the very presence of Jesus and they are what? Afraid. See, there's a disconnect there, isn't there? And yet I could probably look in the mirror and I bet I could sit down with every single person in this room and we could all point at some moments in our faith where we were afraid in the presence of Jesus, right? Do you see that progression there? They didn't understand. 
and they were afraid. And the first thing that comes up here is that when we misunderstand what he did for us, fear becomes the primary force within us. And what I mean by that is we begin to act out of that place because we don't understand exactly what he did and he accomplished for us at the cross and with his resurrection, then fear begins to drive us. Let me talk to the, uh, the older siblings in the room. How many of you are oldest siblings? All right. That's right. All right. So us oldest siblings, the rest of you can listen in if you'd like, okay? But us older siblings are all going to talk for a minute. What do we all know as older siblings? We're the best. That's right. That's right. The birthright, the favorite, right? This is what we tell our siblings, right? And this is what we tell the rest of the world. Yeah. See, this, this is just, it, it weaves its way into everything we do. I mean, it plays out with my sister. I still remember a trip to Nebraska. I was 27 years old. My sister was 22. My parents were driving. My, my wife had to work, so it was like, a, it was like old time's sake. Our, our family was going out to Nebraska, and we're sitting in the back seat. And when it's you and your siblings in the back seat, what, what is understood? The oldest gets how much of the seat? Yeah, like as, as much as possible, okay? There's no 50-50 here. Well, my, my sister tried to argue it was 50-50. And uh, when, I, when I established, no, I get two-thirds of the back seat, you get one-third of the back seat, we actually got in a physical fight in the back of my parents' car, 27 and 22 years old. Amazing. My dad, oh, it was so nostalgic. He threatened to pull the car over and paddle us. Now, I, I, I would stand, I could stand here and say as an older sibling, you know, I was just acting out of my older sibling privileges and, and rights and my birthright and all that. But the truth is, we all operate out of this place that we want that for fear that we won't get it. For fear that we won't be established as enough, right? And fear can take you a really, really long way, can't it? I mean, we've seen comedians, we've seen entertainers, we've seen athletes, we've seen celebrities, we've seen politicians, you name it, who are incredible at what they do, and yet down the road at some point, you know what comes out? They're being driven by fear the entire time. And there's a major difference between being really, really excellent at something because fear puts you there, and excellent because that peace that surpasses understanding puts you there, out of the overflow of what God has done within a heart. I'm reminded of Chris Farley. You know, it, incredibly funny. He was on Saturday Night Live. There was that movie Tommy Boy that many of us remember. And yet I remember after his death reading the accounts of his brokenness. He was so desperate to be funny to the rest of the world. But it came from such a broken place. That's what fear does to us. We start running down the road with suspicion and assumptions and narratives and desperation And it will drain us all. Because why? Because we don't understand this statement that Jesus has now repeated for a second time. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's going to be put to death and rise again. And we read that. We read that as though it's informational and it's factual. But we don't read it as though that was personal. That that was done for you and for me to reconcile us with our heavenly Father, that that was done because of just how much he loves us. And so 
when fear becomes the, the primary force within us, you begin to see in the disciples exactly how that plays out, at least one of the ways it plays out. Come with me to verse 33 of Mark 9. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And then I, I just giggle at this next part, but they kept quiet. And I thought, I bet they did. I, I mean, what are you going to hide from Jesus, right? Now, what were you arguing about? Are you going to say we weren't arguing? No, of course not. They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about, and I want you to circle this next word, who? Who was the greatest? Let me ask you something. Just show of hands. How many of you have been in an argument lately? How many of you have been in an argument lately? Okay. For those of you not raising your hands, how does it feel to come to church and lie? Okay? <laughs> We've all had an argument sometime. And lately, to be fair, lately, I mean the last 20 years. Okay? So we've all been in arguments. Let me ask you something. The last time you got in an argument, who were you fighting for? Who were you fighting for? Yourself. I mean, were you fighting for the other person's position? No, of course not. See, something, it's really interesting what happens. When fear becomes the primary driver within us, when I forget, when I lose sight of, when I misunderstand what God did for me, what Jesus did for me at the cross, you know what happens? I start looking left and right to extract value from people who just can't give me the kind of value God does. See, when fear becomes, when, and when I misunderstand what he did for me, and when you misunderstand what he did for you, you know what you do? You start trying to force people to be for you. You start looking around and going, wait, who's, who's for me? Who's on my side? And then what happens is you fight to make everything about you. This is just, this is human nature. This isn't you specifically. This is all of us. This is what sin has done inside of us at a deep, deep, deep down level. And so you see it in the disciples, right? I mean, arguments characterize the Gospels when you start looking at the disciples' interactions with each other. You know, they had just a few weeks ago, we were in this passage, they'd been arguing about who forgot the loaves of bread in the boat, right? And then if, you, if you're on the email list, you got to see it in the email this week, this last passage. If you go back to verses 14 through 29 of this chapter, Jesus and Peter and James and John, they come down the mountain after seeing all this glory, and they come down, and the first thing they encounter are the rest of the disciples arguing with the teachers of the law. Right after this account, they're, they're headed for another argument with somebody who's casting out demons but not part of their little group. And then you get to that last supper, right, when you would think by then everything should be in full focus as to what's going on. They finished this last supper, and Luke tells us in chapter 22 that they began to argue about who was greatest. And I thought, man, look at the contrast here. Here's Jesus heading to his death, his sacrificing atonement on our behalf, and the disciples are behind him. They're pushing, and they're shoving, and they're jockeying for position to be known, and to be known as the greatest. When you look at the prophets— when you look at the Old Testament, as you look throughout the New Testament, you want to know what becomes very, very clear? Is Jesus, is, it's in some way between the lines as if he's saying, do you want to be great? The Alpha and the Omega of the universe knows your name. The creator of all the universe and everything in it created you. 
Can we fathom that? And he loves us so much that he looked at our separation from him. He said, I will do anything to bridge that gap and have them close and with me again to redeem them, including sending my son to the cross to be delivered into the hands of men, to be put to death and rise again. I mean, what accomplishment, what standing, what position in society or in your social circle or anywhere else, what promotion, what is going to give you more greatness than that? There's nothing. And yet we have to ask ourselves, what am I looking for? What measure of greatness am I looking for from them that hasn't already been given by him? See, when fear becomes the primary driver within us, we fight to make everything about us. Some of you have heard one of the greatest arguments I was ever witness to years ago. I mean, this is still probably top five. Okay, we're on a youth trip with the teenagers here. We're heading into the mountains. I remember exactly where we were on I-70 when not the bus broke down. That's usually a feature of the trip. No, I remember exactly where we were. I hear this commotion at the front of the bus. And I see two guys that have like, they're inseparable, like all the time. They're just hanging out at youth group all the time. You know, they, everywhere they went, even outside of church, they were always hanging out. And they're arguing with each other. You ready for this? Over who is the hottest Disney princess. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, you, so you guys know they're cartoons. Like nothing could ever actually happen between you. And they're sitting on opposite sides of the bus and just like mad at each other. And I thought, you know, I I wanted to point at that, but I was like, I I get it. I get it. Maybe not the Disney princess thing because they're cartoons, but you know, we've, we've all had those arguments where you get through it and you look back and you're like, what were we fighting about? I I don't really know. Yet we do incredible damage, don't we? Remember, it was about a month ago, we rolled out those, those values slash vehicles we've talked about to get us into the priorities of the, the, the grace of God, the glory of God, the word of God, the son of God, you know, our faith in him. And we talked about the history of this church and the heart of this church being one for engagement and family. We see one another as the family of God for health, that we would grow in health as a body of Christ that we would grow as a body of Christ and for reach. Yeah, a lot of times, and Jesus knew this, this is why he said to his disciples, the world will know you by your love for one another. I think the world looks at the church, not just here, globally. And when they see arguments and they see jockeying for position, for greatness, you know what, they forget all that stuff. All that goes out the window. Now, instead of shaming them for it, It's really, really interesting where Jesus goes next. After they kept quiet because they knew they'd argued, here's what Jesus has to say to them. Verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last. And the servant of, and I want you to circle this word, all. The servant of all. See, as I look around this room and as I think about the people in this room, I don't believe anybody in here, or I don't believe many in here struggle with the servant part. It is incredible to watch the heart for service here in this church. But one thing that every single human heart struggles with in these walls and outside these walls 
is that last word. The servant of all. The servant of all. That's hard, isn't it? Because it's really, really easy to serve somebody that thinks like me, looks like me, talks like me, maybe has a similar background to me. But that gets tough when we run into opposing views, doesn't it? When we can begin to find a condition by which maybe we're exempted from serving, and yet all we have to do is look here to Jesus, right? I mean, there could not be more contrast between him and his heart and these disciples and their hearts. And yet there were no conditions here. What's the word he used? All. All. But a lot of times, I believe, as I just listen to people, you know, we've, we've got, we're in touch with people that they just, they don't go to church. They choose not to go to church. There may have been baggage and damage done years in, in the years past. Some have never tried it. But as I talk to them and as I listen to them, it seems the thing that keeps coming up is this, this phrase that you'll hear people say from time to time. And it'll be some variation of, oh, well, if I were to walk into the building, if I were to walk into the church, I mean, it would fall over because I'm that bad. Because somehow they've gotten this message from the church that they had to somehow be great before they ever walked in the door, that they had to measure up to a series of conditions and standards in order to be accepted. And so what happens, whether it's, whether it's fairly, fairly laid on the church or not, is that people in their minds out there, they believe, and maybe some in here, you believe that you've got to carry this enormous burden of being incredible and great in order to be welcome in the body of Christ. It's pretty interesting when you listen, when you begin to listen to people. And here's where Jesus is going with this, this whole thing. He said, no, no, no. See, disciples, I already think of you as great. I I think of you so great that I'm going to be obedient to what my heavenly father put in front of me. Not you and me being obedient to it, him being obedient to it. I think you're so great. I love you so much. I'm going to go to that cross because of you. You can't get any more greatness than that no matter what this world hands you. No matter what this world gives you. And the reason I gave you that greatness, the reason you got greatness from him was to serve them. That's what I think of you. When you know that God is for you, you are freed to put others before you. When you know he's for you, you're free to put others before you. And you got to remember that. Dwight Moody, he said there are three kinds of faith. Yeah, in his estimation, there's the struggling faith. And struggling faith is that kind of, let me read what he says here. Struggling faith is like a man in deep water, desperately swimming. The second is there's clinging faith. And that's like a man hanging to a side of a boat. And he's grabbing the side of a boat and maybe even the people in the boat and at risk of pulling them out of the boat so that he can get in. And then there's resting faith. Resting faith. Listen to the difference in this one. There's a nuance here. This is like a man safely within the boat and able to reach out to help others get in. That's a different kind of faith, isn't it? See, that's the kind of faith that Jesus is moving us toward. He says, look, yeah, there's, there's probably going to be a phase where all you can think about is just getting you, getting you focused on him, 
right? And he's the author and the perfecter of all that. But at some point, is he saying to the disciples, you've seen the miracles, you've walked with me, you've heard my teaching, but suffering's involved. And you've been given this, this greatness. I think you're that great that you would sit in the boat and not be honored by everyone else, but that you would look outside of it and that you would be able to help others. You could look beyond yourself. The first shall be last. And the big, huge implication of this is something that we just miss over and over. That if you were to put somebody else first, whoever that face is flashing through your mind right now, it doesn't minimize you. It doesn't. And that your deeds, every single deed, is actually an expression not of your doing, but their being. That's what God actually thinks of you. Jesus points at it. He says, you wash somebody's feet. You know, do as I've done for you. Wash one another's feet. Give somebody cold water. Whatever you did for the least of these, your doing communicates something about what God thinks of someone's being. There's so much to it here. It it just gets so rich. And then just because, you know, the concept of all this has come out, Jesus goes, so now, now let me show you what it looks like. And this, I believe, is the question for a lot of us. Whether you just started walking with Jesus like an hour ago, or it's been years and years and years and years, I think the big question is, how do you know? I mean, how do you get anchored right here that God is for you? And he does that. But I would suggest an exercise that's going to come up as we read this next part. Let's just dive into it. Verse 36. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Now, you've got to remember the cultural perception of children at that time. Many times were viewed as a nuisance. I mean, there, there are multiple accounts where children run up to Jesus, and it's like the disciples are swatting them away like a mosquito. It's like, get away. No, you're, you're interrupting. You're bugging things. Don't, don't interrupt us right now. And yet, here's Jesus. He takes a child, places them among them, and then it says this, taking the child in his arms. Think about that for a minute. Taking the child in his arms. Do you believe that? Do you believe when you look in the mirror? Do you believe when you wake up in the morning that you are a child held in his arms? Do something for me right now. Look at the person next to you. I know, super awkward. Just go ahead. You know what you're looking at? A child that he longs to hold in his arms. Okay, most of you looked at friends or family members. Now look to the other side. A child in the arms of God. Take the person you're looking at into your arms right now. No, I'm just... I'm just <laughs> See, this is the struggle right here, isn't it? Because most of us get up and we've got a narrative because we're looking at our deeds and our doing and we're doing the same thing the disciples are. How do I establish my greatness? How do I prove myself? And it is just exhausting. And it is a burden that Jesus never intended for anybody to carry whatsoever. And so I'd encourage you, before we read this next part, a a real exercise to consider. 
I want you this week to just write down, what are the ways, because the thing about we know about a child is they're not fully independent, right? We get that in our society. And the truth is, if you're a child of God, you are never fully independent. In fact, what marks a child of God is you are always dependent. And so let me ask you, where, do you, where, where is he provided? See, one of the hallmarks of a child is it is provided for. And when we continue to get up and we look at life every single day and we go, God, where's your provision? Where's your provision? Where's your provision? You know what that is? It's a form of pride. It says, God hasn't provided for me. And yet, if you could just sit, if you could just sit during lunch break, you get up early, you know, last thing you do at night, if you could just sit and you could concretely list out what he has provided, you know what you begin to get to? The heart of a child. A child that's been provided for. Now, we're going to progress with this based on what Jesus says next. <clears throat> Whoever welcomes one of these little ones, these little children, and I want you to circle the word welcomes. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. You are a child of his. I'm a child of his. You know who else he longs to know that they're his children? People who maybe aren't here this week or here any week for that matter. And how are they going to find that out? Well, it's what Jesus just said. Whoever welcomes. Whoever welcomes those that he longs to know are his children. But it happens here, doesn't it? It's got to happen here first. See, there has to be an assurance right here that he's got to carry out, but we can help ourselves when we stop and consider how he's provided for us, his children. There's got to be this assurance that he is so for us, so for us, that putting somebody else before us, it doesn't take away from us at all. When you know that he is for you, you can put others before you. And so as the worship team comes back up, as you begin to think about the way he's provided, one story. There was a family here at the church years ago. They had gone to adopt. They, were in, they were, had gone to Africa to adopt. And I remember the dad of this family. We were talking, and he said, we walked into this orphanage, and we were absolutely shocked at what we saw. Because when they walked in, they saw the workers at this orphanage running, I mean, scurrying around the orphanage. And they're carrying out their tasks, and they're cleaning, and they're cooking, and they're, pre- pre- excuse me, preparing food, getting all kinds of things ready. That part's not the shocking part. The shocking part is that they had babies in their arms while they were doing it. And so they asked them, they had a conversation with those who worked at this orphanage. And they said, what do you need? Like, what can we do? Can we donate? Can we, can we help out? Can we, can we get any stuff? And you know what they told them? We don't need more toys. We don't need more stuff. We need more people. Because it is a widely known fact that a baby, a small child, when not held enough, it does not develop as fully as it was intended to. I mean, can you imagine? We need more people. We need more people who understand 
that what he's done for me has so established my value, my being, that any of my deeds, any of my doing, that doesn't take away from me. That welcomes others into the arms of our Heavenly Father. When you know he is for you, you can place others before you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we've heard this passage. We've likely had this passage repeated to us and repeated to us and repeated to us. And yet, we continue to stare at all our doing. And Lord, we continue to long for greatness. And so I pray that maybe deeper than you've ever done it, you'd establish in every single heart in here, listening online, whoever comes across this passage, the magnitude of what it was you did for us at the cross. There was nothing we contributed. There was nothing we could do. And yet, what came out of that? The overflow of that. Lord, that was your heart. In this passage, it's your heart for us today. And so, Lord, establish in our hearts your true heart for each and every single one of us that we would carry that heart out and convey that to others in welcoming them into your arms. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.